Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. So we've been doing this series on discern, and this week is not actually a part of the series. But we began to realize, Lisa and I were looking at the events of Palm Sunday, the events around Palm Sunday, and then leading into the first part of Holy Week. And you begin to realize how much discernment Jesus is operating in. And the truth is, if you want to become a spiritually discerning person, you have to learn from the most spiritually discerning person who ever walked this earth. And so I want to give you two principles to start with to show you a little bit of of how, uh, how Jesus operated in spiritual discernment. And the, the, first, the first concept is the concept of indifference. Now, this may seem strange to you, but, but, but it's a very clarifying aspect of spiritual discernment. It's the idea that I am indifferent to anything but God's will. That's Jesus. He only did what he saw the Father doing. And he only said what he saw and heard the Father saying. He did nothing of his own initiative. In other words, he was utterly indifferent to anything but the will of his Father. And if you truly want to be spiritually discerning and want to have capacity for all that God has for you, you have to become indifferent to anything but the Father's will. So here's the idea. We want nothing more, nothing less, nothing else but the will of God. So in a way, when you begin to move towards this indifference, there's stuff in you that has to die. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a spiritual pattern in your life if you haven't noticed it. It's the spiritual pattern of this week. Jesus was rejected Jesus was slain. Jesus rose again. There are things in your life that you've got to decide, I reject this. This should no longer be a part of me. And in order for that to really happen, it has to be killed. Your affections for it, your bondage to it, your attachment to it has to be killed. It has to be that you realize in your rejection, this doesn't work for me. This is not me. And when that happens and something that is not you dies, then the real you rises. But it doesn't happen another way. You see, what most of us do is we just want to restrain the bad. Jesus wants to kill the bad so he can raise the good. But you have to have this kind of movement. And here, I, I love this model prayer as you're making this movement towards indifference. I know I'm not indifferent. I know a part of me clings to my own agenda. If I am to become indifferent, you will have to do it in me. And what happens a lot of times is we don't realize how tied we are to things that keep us in bondage. And so waiting on the Lord, letting him work his work in us sometimes takes longer than we expect. Now the, then for some reason it's, it's in the Barca lounger, I guess, already. 
So the, the second thing is if, you, if you're able to say, God, only your will, nothing else. What happens is you begin to notice things differently, and this becomes the wisdom of God in you. And the wisdom of God in you is competence in regards to how life really works. See, if in, in your life, if in your life you're always offended, if in your life you're always fearful, if in your life you're always complaining and whining and depressed and unhappy, then you're really, you're really manifesting, revealing that you don't know how life really works. If you're constantly disappointed, it's because you expected something that can't happen. If you're offended, then you're assuming something that's false. Now, I'm not saying you'll go through life and never be offended. But the truth is, if you watch Jesus in the stories this week, he is always on the top of his game because people are not rattling him. He can perceive because he's settled in his soul. He's already indifferent to their approval because all he's living for is the approval of his father. You understand? Your capacity is limited if you're constantly rattled. If anything can so shake you up as you lose your peace, it means you're lacking wisdom. Because you don't know how life really works. And if we're honest, we don't know how life really works. I've been married 40 years. I still don't understand how marriage really works. She still throws curveballs that I can't hit. Are you listening to me? So the, the ability that comes from indifference to anything but God is you begin to see things differently. And here's one of the biggest things, and you may not be good at this yet, but you could be. The Holy Spirit works from within. So he gives you inner clues. But if your head's so noisy, you're not listening to them. If you already have your own agenda, you don't want what he has to say. The inner clues only work with somebody that says, your will, not mine. Your way, not mine. Now, I, I understand I'm taking a terrible risk this morning. It's Palm Sunday. Some of you might be spiritual seekers. And what I'm talking about today is advanced spiritual uh, path. But at some point, don't you want it to be more than superficial Christianity? Don't you want it to be that you have the capacity to live with the wisdom of the very spirit of Christ who indwells every believer? I mean, I know this is harsh, but without him, we're pretty stupid. We're, we're subject to our hormones. We're subject to our past. We're subject to whatever dysfunction our families had. And I love people who say their families weren't dysfunctional. Let me stay with them just a little while. <laughs> you know, just because that's the way you did it doesn't mean it was good. See, it is the will of God that you become wise. It is the will of God that you allow the very life of Christ in you to mature within you. This is what he speaks of in Romans 8, 16. Right now, 
the Spirit of God is testifying in your spirit. And He lets you know what is true, what is false, what is good, and what is evil. So that, in a way, when you say, well, I didn't know, you could have known. You chose not to know. To ignore is really one of the worst, most foolish things you can do. And the funny thing is, the Spirit starts in simple things. Just to give you a nudge. He'll give you a red flag about something. He'll give you a caution about somebody and what they're saying. And if you say, oh, that, well, that can't be the Holy Spirit. Look, no demon ever protects you. Only the Holy Spirit would give you caution. Only the Holy Spirit would say, maybe that's not the way. And it's interesting because he's pretty gentle in his nudges until you start to say, I'm going to listen. And then he gets louder. Because for some reason, he doesn't force himself on you. He invites himself into your life. And you have to say, okay, I'll cooperate. I'll yield. I'll surrender. So here's Jesus. And he's operating in indifference to everything but the Father's will. And here's Jesus with all the wisdom of God. Now, before you tell me that you can't relate in a way to Jesus' wisdom and indifference, let me, let me explain one thing to you. Jesus did not operate in his divinity. He is fully God. He never stopped being fully God. But he did not operate in his divinity. He operated in his spirit-equipped, spirit-filled humanity. And you know what he said about you? The things I do, you shall do. And even greater things than these because I go to the Father. So anytime you've heard that excuse in your head, that's not the Holy Spirit. Oh, I can't do this. I can't live up to this. Jesus himself came fully man. Let himself in every way be equipped by the Holy Spirit, filled with that Holy Spirit, walked in the anointing of that spirit. And now that spirit that anointed Jesus is the spirit that indwells you. Not a lesser spirit, not a divided spirit, but the exact same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit indwelling every believer. So the question is, are you going to voluntarily say, I'm going to yield to his spirit like Jesus himself yielded to the spirit. And that will change everything in your life. Now, it won't be immediate. It won't be immediate. There can be amazing moments where it feels like he takes hold of you like never before. Sometimes we call those baptisms in the Spirit, or we call it the fullness of the Spirit. There are moments where it feels like there's this incredible transfer. But the truth is, it has to be lived out every minute of every day, yielding to this indifference to anything but God, and then yielding to that observation, spiritual sight called God's wisdom. That's what Jesus did. So now it's time. His hour has come. The week has come. You see, he hasn't, he hasn't moved in three years like he's going to move in this last week of his life. So he enters into Jerusalem. And you know what? Everything, his eyes are on the Father. 
And what we see is the father is saying, now I want you to do some prophetic actions. As a matter of fact, in, in Mark 11 and 12, these two chapters, Jesus does three prophetic actions within like one day, about a 24 hour period. So this is incredibly important. This idea of prophetic. Now, a lot of people, I grew up in a tradition that said prophetic was reserved for the first century. It was reserved for the scriptures alone. I do not believe that. I believe that when Paul says in Corinthians, all the gifts will still be available till Jesus returns. Because the work of the Spirit still has to be done in the power and gifts of the Spirit. And one of the best gifts, Paul says, is the gift of prophecy. Now, Let's simplify that a little bit. Prophecy is as simple as this. God tells you something and he tells you that so that you will speak it to somebody else. It's as simple as that. God gives you something to do and says, I want you to do this at a specific time. And I have a specific purpose for that. So there are prophetic words and there are prophetic actions. And Jesus is doing prophetic actions. Now, this this is really important. It's an action. It's something you do under the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit. There's a step of faith involved. Did God say for me to do this? Is God giving me these words? Yes, but it's also an act of obedience. And when you step in obedience to what God's saying, do this, speak this, power is released. His presence is manifestly present when this happens. And the very victory of God comes into a situation. Do you have any any places in your life where that might be helpful? But you see, it's important that you, you have to open yourself up to the same Holy Spirit that Jesus was open to. Jesus has gone into Jerusalem for three years. He doesn't do what he does in this last week until the last week. Because it wasn't time. You see, he could have ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey anytime, But it wasn't time. Oh, come on. It's pretty good when you think about that. In other words, do you understand? He had to see the moment. Now, why am I saying that? Well, because when you really open yourself up to the Holy Spirit, you begin to see the power of his fullness working. And then that brings wholeness to your family, to yourself, to the church. But here's the thing. An action is only prophetic if it's accompanied by spiritual discernment. We had a guy one time, many, many years ago, we had a guy one time stand up on a chair and yell, I love Jesus at the top of his lungs. And we all went, yeah, great. And then he did it again a little later on. Then in the middle of the sermon, he did it a third time. So the biggest guys in the church kind of gave him a pathway out. (laughs) So I went to him and I said, what were you doing? He said, well, I did this one other church one time and and revival broke out. Which I'm not sure he was telling me the truth there either. (laughs) But you see, he thought if he said something, he would make something happen. See, in a way, some, what it, <laughs> some people think I can force God's hand. Now, if that worked, 
I've always liked Mercedes Benzes. <laughs> and I go over to an annual wed Mercedes Benz dealer and say, That car's mine! <laughs> and the dealer would go, Yeah, if you got $60,000. You understand, what, what we messed up on is we think the prophetic act is the cause. It's not the cause. The cause is always the will of God. That's why you have to be indifferent to everything else. The problem is when people name the Mercedes, they're not indifferent to the Mercedes, they're indifferent to God. And they're trying to use God and use prophecy for their own benefit. That's, that's the opposite of prophetic. It's pathetic. <laughs> you see, if you think your faith is the cause, then the glory goes to your faith. And God says, I will not share my glory with anyone. Your words cannot speak things into being. But I know one whose words can. And so you have to have discerned God is at, at work. And then you see, here's where your prophetic words, your prophetic act, your faith begins to have authority is when that power has been delegated to you and you've been authorized. You see, if, if God has said to you, say, Jesus loves you. And you say it to someone and it's God's word, but you're mediating it. You're you're the means by which through your words, his power comes. Then that person's heart will explode. But if you just go around and say, well, I heard somebody else say Jesus loves you real loud and I think it'll work here. It's just your words. And instead of his power exploding, you'll look stupid. Now, I'm willing to look foolish for God, but only if he's asking me to. Because there should be no other stumbling block for anybody except the cross of Jesus Christ. Are you tracking with me in this? This is so important. You have so much power at your fingertips, but if you misuse it, you'll have no power or counterfeit power. So what we have to do is see and hear what God is doing and then enter in, join him. This is, you know, God's work is always the power. It's always the cause. And, and, and if you don't get your agendas out of the way, you will not see his power. But here's what Jesus does in his first triumphal act. He knows what the father is doing. It's the time. It's the moment. So here... Gabe read from Luke. This is the Mark one. Would you read it out loud with me? I like it when you read scripture as a church. Jesus sent two of his disciples. Go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. 
And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So in this small text, there are incredible uh, examples of Jesus' ability to see things that are impossible for others to see. And then to use that knowledge to direct his disciples. Let's just unpack it a little bit. Jesus sent two of his disciples to find a colt. The colt will be male. They'll find him immediately while entering the village. The colt will be tethered. No one will have ever sat on it, much less ridden it before. Here's the power when it's truly prophetic. I can't go to a horse ranch and say, the Lord has need of it. They say he can need it, but you got to pay for it. Right? It's only because of the power of the Lord and operating in the authority that he's delegated can the words of the disciple have any meaning. So he sends them on a mission of faith. This has to be done by faith because they've never been able to say, well, the Lord has need of it, and they get the colt. The second thing I'd like you to realize in this, and this is incredible, this is, a, this is a donkey, a young, young donkey. Never been ridden on before. And, and it's going to be ridden through crowds. Now, donkeys aren't known for their sweetness. <laughs> right? And young donkeys especially. Guess who's riding the donkey? The Lord of the donkey. No one else can just sit on an unbroken young donkey and ride through crowds screaming and not have the donkey bolt or or buck or whatever it might be. There's amazing stuff happening here that is the power of God, but the power isn't released if Jesus doesn't move into it. The power isn't released if the disciples don't obey. I'm telling you, friends, there's power at your fingertips but there has to be discernment in your mind. I might write that one down. (laughs) So Jesus is exercising his lordship and his kingly office by securing the colt as a means of transportation. But this is fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah of how he would ride into the city. Now, much is made of and often talked about this this cry that came up from the people. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And if you know what Hosanna means, it means Lord save us. And their, their expectation is that this is the kingdom coming. All right? So let's think, how could they say the right thing and get it so wrong? This is really important that we get this. When they say save us, they're not thinking save us from ourselves. When they say save us, they're not thinking save us from God. You know why? They have the temple. They make sacrifices. They have the law. They have way more righteousness than anybody else in the world. And their God is the only God. So they're not saying save us from our sins. They're not saving, saying save us from, our, from your wrath. You know what they're saying? Save us from the Romans. 
Because you see, as he comes in, they're thinking, this is the king who's going to give us the power. See, their thought is this. Our real issue is not God. It's not sin. It's not our problem. It's the problem with these Romans. If, if we can take away their power, if we can take away their oppression, then we'll be fine because once we're in power, everything will be okay. Save us from this group of people and our world will be fine. That only happened in the first century, I guess, right? Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting how we forget? How we forget when we see how evil others are, we forget how evil we are. We actually feel better about ourselves because now we can yell at some other group. Look at the oppression of that group. Look how evil they are. If we just got rid of them. Happens in every generation. It happens in every culture. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a prisoner of the communists because he spoke out against them and because he was a Christian. And he wrote wonderful, wonderful works, amazing things. But one of the quotes that is unforgettable to me is that when he was rescued from this oppressive gulag, and they asked him, do you just want to kill your guards? Do you want to just get rid of them and make the world a better place? Of course, I'm paraphrasing because I don't know Russian. <laughs> and he said this. He said, the line of good and evil cuts through every human heart. You understand? And he says, and no one wants to cut out a piece of their own heart. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, you could get rid of the guards but you wouldn't have gotten rid of evil. You see, what Jesus does on Good Friday is he answers their prayer they didn't even know they were praying. He truly is the one who answers their Hosanna. But he's saving them from their sin. He's saving them from the wrath to come. He's becoming the curse. He's allowing the Romans to destroy his heart so that no one will ever be able to destroy your heart. But until you see that, until you see that the, the line of good and evil cuts through every heart, and only Jesus was willing to cut out his heart for you so that he would die for your evil. You were so evil, he had to die for you. You are so loved by Jesus that he chose to die for you. It's an interesting principle that I've learned over the course of my life is that God is always answering the prayer I should have prayed, trying to teach me how to actually pray. Because they're saying, if you just get rid of the Romans, and what God was saying is no, what I have to do is I have to destroy the evil within you without destroying you. I have to destroy the evil in the world without destroying you. And until you get that, then Good Friday won't mean to you what it meant to the Father. And until you get that, you will not be indifferent to anything. 
except the will of God. But with the day you get it, the will of God becomes sweet. God, if you would do that for me, if you would cut out your own heart so you didn't have to cut off my heart, then can I trust you in all things? Can't I surrender to you in your love? And can't I lean into your goodness? Well, despite all these prophetic pictures that were happening in these early days of Holy Week, the disciples really didn't see. They didn't realize that Scripture was being fulfilled. They didn't even know that Jesus was entering as a Messiah. Now, can I tell you one more thing that, that, that's pretty obvious if you look at how do conquerors enter cities? I've never seen one on a donkey. That should have been a dead giveaway, right? I mean, only, only a, a, in a sense, one coming in weakness comes on a donkey. I mean, you come in strength. What do you come? The biggest stallion you can find. A war horse. Jesus comes on a baby donkey. The Lord of the universe entered on a baby donkey. That's pretty big, right? Should have been a clue. I'm not coming to conquer, except to conquer sin and death. And in order to conquer sin and death, I'm not going to kill Romans. I'm going to die for Romans. Remember what he said? Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Roman soldiers who are crucifying him. He didn't come to kill Romans. He came to die for Romans. When we start thinking about other races and other cultures, one of the first things you have to do is, am I seeing this race? Am I seeing this culture the way Jesus saw them? The very ones nailing his hands and feet to a tree were the very ones he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And yet you and I, you see, we're not indifferent to anything but the will of God. We're very, we're very cued in to our own protection, to our own fears. Well, Jesus, as he comes into Jerusalem, he ends up at the temple right after this triumphal entry, and he looks around. Again, he's about to do something in the temple, but he doesn't do it till it's time. Oh, if we could just get this. I struggle with this, don't you? The patience of waiting on the Lord. I'm like, why didn't this happen yesterday? I'm, I'm bothered. I'm irritated. Why is this pandemic lasting forever? Why is social and racial injustice lasting forever? And yet, what does Jesus do? He doesn't move before his time. He goes to Bethany, which is outside of Jerusalem. He goes with the 12. And so what are we looking at here? Well, we're looking at that spiritual discernment, true spiritual discernment, where, where you're not operating in your own power. It's the ability to distinguish then and discriminate between good. And good is defined in the Bible as being of God. The very word good and God go together. But how do I define that it's of God? Well, does it draw you closer to God? Or evil, which might look good, might look pleasing. It's not of God. And therefore, it will always draw you away from God. So here's, here's Jesus, patient. He's come in in fulfillment of the prophecy. 
They think he's coming in to get rid of the Romans, get rid of oppression. But no, he just goes to the temple and he scopes out the temple. Then he goes to his friend's house in Bethany. Then we see this second prophetic act. And this second prophetic act matters a lot more than a lot of people think. So he sees a fig tree. And he looks at the fig tree and it's beautiful. It's full leaf. It's taking up nutrients. It it's, it's, looks like it's a mature fig tree. But when he goes to find the figs, there are no figs. So in other words, it looks good, but it's not fulfilling its purpose. And Jesus says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. In another place, it says, wither up and die. <laughs> okay. If you don't get a little scared right now, you're not listening. Because if all you're about is appearance, but there is no fruit. Then it's just religion. If all you are is about an outward obedience, but you're full of anxiety and anger and hatred and you're full of depression and lust. Then there's a problem. So it's such an interesting thing how important fruit is. Fruit tells you the tree is alive. Tells you the tree is connected. <laughs> if you had a dead apple tree and you just, just hung some apples on it, it wouldn't be a living tree. <laughs> so the fruit isn't the life of the tree. The fruit is the manifestation of the life of the tree. It's either a healthy tree or it's a corrupt tree. Why is that so important? Remember where he went first? He went to the temple. And the tree and the temple are a picture. But what he does is he keeps moving. And in Mark 11, verse 15 and 17, you want to read it out loud with me? And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. So what do we see? We see a tree. With no fruit. You understand? The tree was not arbitrary. Jesus didn't do coincidental things. The first reason that he cursed the tree was because he was about to cleanse the temple. And he was making an object lesson for his disciples. It doesn't matter how it looks if it doesn't produce life. See, there are many people who are trying to be Christians. And trying to have a kind of Christian looking expression. But if your life is filled with anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and filled with lust, then the issue is you're not connected to the vine properly. Because the fruit tells you where the life is coming from. So what does Jesus find? He finds a temple full of all kinds of ritual sacrifices and everything else, but it's not fulfilling its purposes. And he says, my house shall be a house of prayer. But he doesn't just say a house of prayer for Jewish people. He says a house of prayer for all nations. 
This is so important in this, this picture. You see, the counterfeit spirituality is what Jesus finds in the temple. The system appears to work like the tree. It appeared fruitful, but in reality, there is no soundness left in the system. Oh, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, they had turned the court of the Gentiles. This is important. They had turned the court of the Gentiles into a stockyard for their own commercial purposes. So the sale of animals for sacrifice had become one of the most lucrative sources of revenue for the Sanhedrin. These actions excluded the Gentiles from worship. And the temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus cleansed the temple for the Gentiles, not from the Gentiles. That's a, come on, that is really important. I look around, I think most of you are Gentiles. In other words, religion had excluded anybody but a select few who knew the rules. And Jesus came and cleared it out so those of us who had no place biologically could now have a place spiritually. We who were not a people became a people who could draw near to God, but not in our own will, not in our own strength, not in our own religion, but only through Jesus Christ, only through the cross. See, here's what Paul says, that the ones who were doing all this were as lost as the ones who were excluded from all this. And Jesus, in cleansing this temple, is revealing that religion will not get you close to God. It'll make you think you're close to God, but it'll fool you. I have too many more sermons in this, but if you, if you look right after this, all he faces is opposition. Here's what I've got to let you know. If you're going to operate in Jesus's discernment, you're going to have opponents. And the only way you can face the opponents is the same way Jesus faced them. He was indifferent to them and he was indifferent to anything but the will and wisdom of his father. So he knew exactly how to answer every question. Because you see, when you're indifferent to anything but the will of God, then the wisdom of God and the promise of Jesus, he says, you don't have to worry about what you say. The spirit will give you the words to say. But here's what I want to close with is this. When you realize what Jesus was doing for you, even in the cleansing of the temple, he was making a place for you. He was making a place not on the basis of what you could do for God, but what God was doing for you. And you might say to me, Mike, I, I, I want to have this kind of indifference. I want to have this kind of wisdom. When you become a Christian, the Apostle Paul says, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're struggling with something, instead of trying to cleanse it yourself, don't you now have within you the one who cleansed the temple? And isn't he a much better temple cleanser than you are? Isn't it time you say, Lord, cleanse this temple? And don't you think he'll do it?
Will you stand with me as we close this morning? I don't get um, a lot of dreams at night, but when they're vivid, I always ask the Lord what he's saying. And I had a very vivid dream last night, and it just keeps coming to mind all throughout Pastor Mike's sermon. And my dream was this, is that I was invited to an event. Uh, I was invited somewhere with a group of people, and I had to pack a bag to go and get ready. And so I started to pack one bag, and then I couldn't fit everything, so then I had to go get another bag. And then I thought, oh, and I need to bring this too, and I need this, and I need that. And before I knew it, I had all these bags that I could barely carry, and I was putting them in the back of the car. And so we were driving to where we were going, and it was like, okay, now we have to get out of the car. And I couldn't bring everything that I was trying to bring. And I had overpacked and brought too much and thought that I needed too much and focused on all these other things that I didn't need. And what I really needed was to just recognize that I had been invited and I didn't need to bring all this other stuff. And I just had this sense in my dream that I had to, like, I really overthought this. I thought that I needed all this other stuff, but I didn't need that. And as Pastor Mike was talking about being cleansed, that's the picture that I get, is that we have all this extra stuff that we think that we need all this extra stuff that we think that we need to bring with us so that we can be accepted, so that we can go to where we've been invited and think that we've been prepared for it. But we've already been invited and there's already a place for us. Church, I do believe that God wants to cleanse us this morning. He wants to make us indifferent so that all that matters is His will, is His purposes, is His invitation to us to know that we've been accepted and we don't need anything else but his voice in our ear. So will you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you that you have done everything to prepare a place for us. That you have done everything to say that we are accepted and that we are enough. God, I don't want to hear any other voice. I don't want to pack any extra bags. I just want to have you. I don't want to speak without you saying speak. I don't want to go unless you say go. I don't want to plan unless you say plan. You have invited us this morning to know that when you say go, it is good. To know that when you say speak, it is good. To know that when you say plan, it is good. So Father, this morning we accept your invitation. Would you take out anything that you need to take out in us so that all that matters is your will and your word and your voice? We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.